chapter one. First, it's just good to be reminded that this is God's word um, and of the importance that we hold in. Um, it's good to come here and to quiet our hearts and hear what he has to say to us through his word. Um, so yeah, first Colossians, Colossians chapter one, verse nine to 14. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, thank you that we can come here this morning to worship you, to praise your name. Help us to be reminded of who you are and what you've done for us in sending your son to the cross. Help us to be reminded of the amazing news that is the gospel and how it gives us a new life to walk in. Father, I just pray that as we come to your word being preached, that we would let go of the worries and the concerns and the distractions from the week that is past and the week that lies ahead and that we would focus our hearts and minds on you. Father, I just pray for Jesus as he comes to speak and um, that you will speak through him and give him the words to say. Um, yeah, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, good morning. Hold on, I'll try this again. Good morning. Much better. Well done, everyone. <clears throat> yeah, like Hannah said, my name is Travis. Um, I am one of the here in Village South. I'm really, really glad to be, well, I mean, I come here every Sunday, so it's not like a special thing to be here this morning, I suppose. But um, uh, I'm really glad to be preaching today. I'm really excited about the pastor we're going to be looking at today. Um, normally, Andrew's here. He's actually away in Bay. Um, preaching at another one of our X29 churches. We're part of the X29 Church Planning Network in Ireland. And so he's away there um, helping them out and preaching there. Um, and so we are going to be continuing the series we started last week um, together now. Um, if you have been coming for a while um, or for the last couple of weeks, you'll know that we have been in the book of Luke. And then we took a break from Luke to go through our Family Traits series where we do, we do it every September where we talk about who we are as a church and sort of the pillars of gospel and mission and how we as a church hope to do what we do based on those things. And then we started last week looking at the book of Colossians, and it's really exciting. I think part of the reason why Andrew and I, as we were considering teaching and taking a break from Luke to do this, thought it would be helpful for us is because, firstly, what Paul says in Colossians I think is really applicable to us. But as we continue to study it and think about it, one of the things I thought that was really cool is that we're getting ready to celebrate our five-year um, anniversary, as you guys know, um, or birthday. You can call it a birthday if you want. Um, if you don't know, you either are first time here with us this morning, so welcome, or you haven't been paying attention for the last couple months because we say it every Sunday that we got your birthday coming up and it's happening and we're excited and we're getting ready to celebrate. And the reason why I think it's kind of cool is that the church that Paul's writing to here um, in 
uh, Colossae, is how I've been pronouncing it, so you're just going to have to bear with me saying it that way all morning long, is that they're about as old as we are. Um, the story of this church is that um, Paul was in Ephesus with the Ephesian church. There's a guy there named Epaphras who comes to know Christ and then goes back home to Colossae and just by sharing his faith plants a church there. And so similarly, we are a church plant from another church plant um, and we're about as old as they are. And so we're getting a letter or we're studying a letter from Paul to this church by means of encouragement, not necessarily marking their birthday, but like they're transitioning from like this church of infancy and childhood to like kind of growing up to becoming an established church. The letter is meant to be an encouragement to them to remember who they are and then live out and be this church that God wants them to be. Really, I just love that it like kind of mirrors where we're at right now as a church ourselves. And so um, it's really, really cool. If you remember from last week, um, <clears throat> Andrew introduced us to the idea of the opening with the idea of identity and how culturally um, identity is a really big question, especially in the West. We talk a lot about like um, identity crises um, and really the idea um, of identity politics, a new thing, a new phenomenon. I mean, for really just the history of the world almost, there was no such thing as, as the level of individualism that we are doing now in the West. And so as a culture, we're trying to figure that out, um, self-determined identity and all these kind of things, and then and the idea of identity politics. And, and we talked about how in a world full of uncertainty and self-definition, um, we who trust Christ are actually given an identity in Christ that we can live out of. And I think as I was reflecting on these things, one thing that's really, really interesting to me is that most people that I know of, that I meet, especially young people, are either uncertain of who they are or they're trying to define who they are by what they do and, and, and establish and like determine their own identity and live that out. And what happens is when you talk to people, especially when you talk to people about the Bible um, and what Jesus says about them, who are in both of these like, I don't know, headspaces, the person who's insecure is hesitant to commit to something like hearing the gospel and believing who Jesus says they are. Um, and the person who is certain of who they are and determined who they are by what they do is usually pretty aggressively defensive, which I know is a bit of kind of an oxymoron, about anything that challenges their self-determined identity. And we who are in Christ don't have to be like that. Um, because Christ, we look at who Christ says that we are all throughout Scripture, we can live out of a confidence that's unshaken by the challenges from culture or from other people, and we can live this identity out. And instead of being people who determine who we are by what we do, we're a people who, um, who our identity determines what we do, right? You see how that works different ways? And so what Paul does in this passage, as we talked about last week, Paul reminds the church of who they are. He tells them that they are saints, which was a really cool thought. We're not going to spend any time rethinking about it. It's just kind of cool to consider yourself a saint in a lot of ways. Um, he reminds them that their family, together in Christ, and most importantly of all these things, he reminds them they are in Christ, um, an identity and a place and a position that's unshakable. Um, we cannot lose that, which is really, really cool. And he also reminds the church, um, the Colossian church, of what they have, um, which was expressed in faith, hope, faith, hope and love, um, their purpose, which is to share the gospel um, with other people. And he reminds them that they have the Holy Spirit to equip them to do all of that. 
That was last week, and then kind of transitioned into, this, into, into our passage for this week. And so what Paul does, on the heels of reminding them who they are and what they have, he then says, hey, I've been praying for you guys, and here's what I've been praying for. Um, and so pause now and pray, because I feel like that makes sense, um, given that's what Paul does for the church. Um, and we're going to look at why Paul prays and what he prays for and, and why that matters to us this morning. Um, so if you'll just pray real quick, um, I just kind of want to give our time together now as we are in the word to God. <clears throat> Father in heaven, um, we're grateful for the opportunity to come together this morning and read your word. Um, it is a gift. It is good for us. Um, I know we do every week when we read it, say, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. But I pray that we would remember that these are your actual words to us, actually. Um, that it's living and it matters and means something for us today. Um, and I pray also that our hearts would respond in gratitude. Thanks be to you for your word to us. And so as we look at your word this morning, I pray um, that what's in it would be good for us, including for me. Um, God, I pray that um, our ears would be open and receptive and willing to hear what you want to say to us this morning, and our hearts would be soft enough to receive it, um, that we wouldn't be proud um, and tough and critical, um, but that rather we'd be willing to be encouraged, um, to be challenged, um, even to the point of having to confess and repent and change um, our own selves and allow your Holy Spirit to work in, in us. And so, God, we give this time to you this morning. Uh, may you, may all the honor and glory be given to you um, this morning as we spend time in your word. In your name we pray, amen. So, church, who they are, and then he says this. Uh, look with me, and he says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And I'm reading half the first verse. Um, Paul tells them, hey, ever since I heard of what's going on in Colossae, I've been praying for you guys. And I don't know, can't know, I don't think, if Paul's like, hey, every day, every morning at 8.30 over my cup of coffee, I remember you guys, and I'm praying for you. Or if he's more so saying like, hey, just as you guys pop in my head, or as we get another letter from Epaphras, I'm praying for you guys. But regardless, what he is saying, and where his heart actually is, is that since he's heard, he has been praying for the church there. And there's a few reasons why this is important. Um, I don't want to like breeze over this part of it. The first reason that I, Paul's praying for the church, is because Paul recognizes that the church is the Lord's and he keeps it. I think a lot of times, and I know I've, I mean, I've been an elder here for a year and a half now, so I've kind of, this mind's been creeping into my own head, that, that we who are members of a church or belong to a church, like this is my church, have a, have a heart, and probably coming from a good place, that this is our church. And, and so we want to protect it, we want to see it, um, bro, we want to care for the people around us. We have these intentions um, uh, that are good. But the reality is, it's God's. And we're a part of that. And I don't, I don't want to say, like, hey, those attitudes you have are wrong. I just want to say that we need to, they need to come under and be submissive to the fact that this, this, our church is God's and not our own. Um, we, as Village South, um, this is his thing. And the good thing about it is that because it's his, he's going to keep it. He's going to protect it. He's going to grow it. And that's what, where we'll bear fruit. And so Paul recognizes this. And because Paul recognizes this, instead of as soon as he heard, it, he didn't say as soon as I heard of you, 
I started writing letters because I wanted to make sure that you guys understood this, that, and the other thing because I was really concerned that you guys were going to get off on the wrong foot. Instead, he's just like, hey, I prayed, and I gave you to God and because I recognize that you're his church. The second reason I believe that Paul's praying for the church there is because the church should know and do the will of God. And I think, um, again, this is a perspective I've had being an elder here for a year and a half, that my own biases, ideas, um, want to what Village South should look like. Um, and again, I don't think they're bad things or come from a bad place. But, but the fact that Paul prays, again, means that he takes his hopes and dreams and desires for the Colossian church, and really for every church he ever writes to, and he submits them to the will of God and says, hey, God, I want these things, but this is yours. And I want that church to be your church and to do what you want them to do. And I think you see this expressed beautifully sometimes, hopefully, in a lot of ways. When you look at different local churches, maybe even in our area, in South Belfast or whatever, like, we don't look like saints, and I don't think we should. We don't look like Cook, and I don't think we should. Like, God has purposes for each body to, to do, people he wants them to reach, ways in which he wants them to engage. And some churches are really, 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 really good at doing mercy ministry. And some churches are really, really, really good at doing community engagement and um, gospel sharing. And while we should aspire to do all of that, God has a place for us in his purposes and plans. And the only way we can know that is if we pray that God's will would be known and done in our church. Paul prays the same thing. Thirdly, I believe that Paul is praying for this church because Paul recognizes that he has no ability to change anybody's heart, mind, or attitude. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. And so, as he prays for the church, he's praying that the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers would help them to walk um, and follow God that um, where they need to be convicted of sin, the Holy Spirit would do that, right? Um, that where they need to be encouraged, the Holy Spirit would do that. Where they need to know what their next step is um, in terms of caring for one another or whatever it is, that the Holy Spirit would do that. And I think a lot of times I think about church and I want to get stuck in and, and fix things and do things, and my response isn't to be like, hey, God, I recognize that like while you want me to engage with this and to help and serve and, and, and care for people, the actual change that's necessary in people's hearts and lives, only you can do that. And fourthly, I think Paul prays because he recognizes that as a human being, he has limitations. If you've read the, any of the epistles, almost all of the epistles usually have some part in there where Paul talks about praying for the church, and then all Paul talks about, hey, I really want to come see you, but I haven't been able to. I'm hoping to come see you in a little bit if I can. There's an expression that he has of wanting to be with them, to encourage them, to teach them, to train them, to do whatever with them. But there's one human being who can only be in one place at one time. And the majority of those churches, he never goes to or gets to again. Paul writes to the church in Colossae, I believe, from the Roman prison, and I don't believe he ever actually went there, though he would love to be. And again, as I think about this from the position of like an elder, right, like Andrew and I, we would love to be able to meet with everybody every week and know what's going on in your lives and pray with you and take care of every pastoral need that exists um, and do all of these things. 
and spend more time. I mean, I would have loved to spend more time prepping the sermon than I did this week, um, right? But I'm a human being, and I have limitations. We can't do it all. And so we pray, because God can. He's not limited by being in one place at one time or being able to talk to one person at a time. But he can do all of it altogether. And I know I'm spending a long time talking about prayer, the first part of this and the first part of the first verse, but the reason why is because I think it's really, really, really important for us to understand because prayer corrects those attitudes that we have and allows us um, still do things to still serve the church, to still love one another, but in submission to God and trusting God um, to do the work. I think there's two things that we should take away from this, this reality that Paul is praying for the church. Number one, I think we should imitate Paul in praying for the church. So firstly, should we pray for Village South? Yes. Um, but I think, I think it's okay to pray for any church. I think as we think about the fact that Andrew is with another church in our network in Galway, like, let's pray for them. As we think about, um, I don't know, churches that your friends and family go to, like, as you think about it, pray for them. As you think about churches that we partner with in Turkey um, and Moldova that we support financially and pray for kind of collectively, like pray for them. It is good for us and, and really potentially even more fruitful for us to be praying for the church than it is to be trying to do more and serve more and whatever else. So we ought to imitate Paul in that. And then secondly, we also ought to identify that we, like the church in Colossae, need to be prayed for. And so, what does Paul pray for? Like, as we think about what should we pray for the church or for our church, well, let's take a look at what Paul prays for for this church. Reading on in verse 9, he says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The first thing that Paul prays for is that the church would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. If you have been a Christian for, I'd say, longer than a day, you've probably asked yourself the question, what does God want me to do? What is God's will for my life for blank? And I don't know what the blank is. It might be where you should go to school. It might be what job you should get. It might be who you're dating um, or who you shouldn't be dating or your friend groups or how you're spending your money. I don't know what it is. There's lots of things that can fill that blank with. But we as Christians, I think naturally, those who love and follow Jesus, want to know what God wants us to do because we want to do it, hopefully. And I think that's good and true, but I think what Paul's actually talking about is not necessarily God's will for what you should do Tuesday afternoon. Um, he's talking more broadly about God's grand purposes for the world. Um, a guy named Alistair Wilson in his commentary on Colossians says this, really helpful for me as I was kind of thinking about this idea of, of knowing the will of God. He said, we should understand God's will primarily as his grand purpose, or what might be called the mission of God, rather than the precise details relating to life choices of individual Christians. Although the latter, so these life choices, need not be excluded. And so it's both and. It's like what job do I get? But it's also a knowledge of God's grand purposes. And the reason why it's both is because one is the primary and the other is the secondary. And actually, knowing God's will, 
well helps you know what you should be doing for those smaller decisions. So what is God's will for the world? What is his grand purpose? Well, God's will for the world is people who don't know him and a restoration of the broken relationship that humanity has with him. And the expression of that will we see in the life of Jesus who stepped out of heaven, condescended to earth, took on humanity, became a servant, um, was hungry, was poor, his family immigrated, um, served other people, uh, and ultimately was betrayed, lonely, um, suffered, and died. So that people, us, you and me, would come to know the Father and be restored in a relationship with him. And so when Paul talks about a knowledge of the will of God, he's what he wants the church to get is not just that God wants us to like want that too, but that God wants us to want that the way he wanted it and to be willing to do what he did to get it. It's an intimate knowledge. It's, it's not just like a, it's not like I know the plan, but it's I want to be like God in my compassion for the lost and being willing to do what he did to see others come to know him in the same way that he did it so that I could come to know him. And you kind of get to understand that as you understand God's will in that way, you're able to then answer the question like, well, how should I relate to my family members or this person that I, I mean, I'm not getting along with at work or how I should be spending my money. Like when we know God's will that well and when our hearts become like God's heart in that way, then it makes it easier to be like, oh, I think I should use my money this way. I think I should raise my kids this way. I think I should spend my free time doing things instead of those things. It's, it is evangelism, but it's, like, it's more comprehensive than just finding people and then telling them the good news. It is a life lived so that people might know God. Does that make sense? It should lead to questions like, who can I share the gospel with and what should I say? But it should also lead to questions like, well, how should my life change and my actions and habits and my relationships? What do I do with my money? How do I raise my kids? What am I reading and listening to or watching on TV? These are questions that we all must ask and answer as individuals and as families and ultimately as a church together. Now, I don't want to get away from the first point of, because when we talk about the will of God, right, I'm not saying like, I think it's going to be a temptation all throughout the sermon for, okay, I need to do the, but I don't want us to get beyond the fact that, no, I want us to be praying that we know the will of God, not know the will of God. And so, as you pray for our church, and pray for yourself, kind of in the mindset of our church, are you praying that we might know what God's will is for us to be doing as a church? Are you praying that our hearts might start look like Jesus' heart for the lost? Um, are you praying that parts of us, that, that we become distinctive and different, that our lives, after engaging the gospel, look different than those around us? I had a conversation once with a guy um, who was studying at Belfast Bible College. I, I work with a unique kind of campus ministry, and he did his placement with us, and he, so he, we had a lot of cultural conversations, and he was like, hey, uh, why do so many people smoke in Belfast? And I was like, I don't know. 
Um, I'm not sure. And he's like, do Christians smoke in Belfast? And I was like, some do. Um, and he's like, I was like, is that a problem for you? <laughs> and he's like, no, I, but I don't understand it. And I'm like, well, why don't you understand about it? And he's like, well, I don't, I don't know why they do that. And I'm like, can you explain? I, I don't understand why you don't understand. And he's like, okay, well, in my church, in our church, I can't remember what country he was from, but in, in our church, we don't smoke. And I said, why? I think it's like a sinful thing to do. And he's like, no, it's not that. But we as a church, like, want to be distinctively different than the world around us. And that's one of the things that we've chosen to not do, to be distinctive. Um, and while I'm not saying that, that should be us, what I am saying is, have we considered how, like if you look at your life and the life of your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus, is it different? Is there distinction? When you're at your workplace and, and like, you had like um, a deadline that you missed do you like, be like, hey, look, here's what's going on, excuse making, what all this kind of stuff, or are you like, hey, look, I, you're right, I made a commitment to you and I dropped the ball and I'm, I'm sorry, could you forgive me? Like that conversation is a lot different than conversations that your coworkers are having with their other non-Christian coworkers. Or vice versa, when someone's you down in the workplace, you've had some, you know, like some like relational strife with someone who's wronged you, are you able to be like, hey, look, I feel, because, and maybe even, you don't have to necessarily say it, but like because because I've been and I know what that's like. Do you understand the difference, right? Like, do, are, are there parts of our lives that look different? And it requires some intentionality and certainly a lot of prayer to understand how God wants us as a church to be distinctive from, not, not separate from, but remarkably different than the people around us. The church at this time, the New Testament church, um, I love this. My, uh, my wife studied um, classics, so she did Latin in university and read old, like, just writings from, like, Roman, you know, officials at this time. And some of them had to do with it, like, reference the, the Christian church in different places. And almost all of them would reference the way they cared for the poor and the widow and the orphan and the downtrodden. And that's, that, it wasn't what they believed that made them distinct and different. It was the way they treated people that would, that the society was like, no, they're no good. And they're like, fine, we love them and we're gonna take care of them. That's what separated the early church from the, the people around them, right? So like, I wanna invite us to pray, hey God, what's, what is your will? Help me to know your will for us. And then Paul moves on and says this. He says um, that we might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. Paul wants the church to know God's will. He prays for them to know God's will and prays for them to do God's will, which feels really simple. But it's also really hard, right? And again, I don't want you to hear Church, Village South, you need to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So like, get better at it and go do it. What I want you to hear is, God wants us to walk in a manner worthy of him, and we need to be for that because we can't do it on our own. Right? 
You un- again, you understand the difference and why prayer is so important. What does it look like to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Well, firstly, there's a connection between knowing the will of God and knowing God and it impacting the way we did a little bit already. The connection of knowing God's will and knowing him and our living means that our life, it should lead to a life that honors God. Um, naturally, for my own self, I asked the question, hey, was my, was my Friday honoring to you or not? Um, it wasn't, not, not entirely. Um, right, like, I, I was kind of reflecting back on every moment of the week, and I was like, was this honoring or not? And thankfully, some, some of it was, but a lot of it wasn't. And I recognized in that, that I need God's help to do this. For us to know God's will and do it, we need God's help to do that. And if you look at what Paul prays, he prays for that exact thing. I want you to pay attention to what he says here. He prays that we might know the will of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That understanding and wisdom is spiritual. It comes from the Holy Spirit. So that we may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing the knowledge of God. Now watch these. He prays that we would be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might. I'm going to stop there real quick. I love the idea of us being strengthened. I think when I think about my own life, I need God's strength to do things often. When I mean often, I mean really all the time. Um, We need God's strength. But the way Paul words this here, I find really encouraging because he prays that uh, that the church would be strengthened with all power. There is only one person who's all-powerful, and that's God. So he's praying that we would be strengthened with the very power of God, which we are able to be through the Holy Spirit. In accordance, or it says, according to his glorious might. Every time I read a two in the scripture, and I, can't, I think, I can't remember where I heard this before, uh, the first time, but someone said this, and it stuck with me, that every time the Bible says according to God's, certain of God's attributes, he's like, it's like this. My kid gave me money according to his riches. It would be, it could be, like my son Connor, who's six years old, could be incredibly generous. But I know how much money is in his little jar. And he could give me literally all that he has, and I would be 16 pounds richer. Right? Generosity is as is maxed out, is as great as it can be. But according to his riches, or according to his, what I get is not that much. Now, if, like, Jeff Bezos gave according to his riches, he might not even realize he's missing it. But what I receive is significant. In this way, God, who is infinitely everything, and certainly infinitely mighty, when Paul prays that we are strengthened according to his glorious might, it's significant. It's not a small thing. It's everything that we could possibly need in any moment, in any situation. So he prays for us to have that kind of strength to do the will of God. He prays um, for all endurance and patience with joy and that we might be giving thanks to the Father. Now, this isn't like for like, but this looks a whole lot like the fruits of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. And I think what Paul's praying for is the church to be able to live in the power of the Holy Spirit so that they might do the will of God. 
I find this incredibly encouraging because I think if we, again, read this with the idea that we do walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and that we need to please him in everything that we do and that we need to do these things, that the things we're going to do, we're going to require strength, specifically our strength, and that we're going to have to endure and we're going to have to be patient and we're going to have to be joyful and we're going to have to be thankful. Like, I can't do that. Like, have you ever had one of those days where you're like, man, everything sucks. Oops, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that in church. Whatever. But, like, everything's really bad. And so, like, but you just need to be, like, if you're, like, grateful, be grateful to God about for the things that you have had. You're like, I can't muster that in myself. I can't all of a sudden change my heart to be thankful when everything feels so bad. But God can change like that. Again, we pray to know the will of God, and we pray that we might be able to do it. And God in his goodness allows us and is with us to do it. It suggests that we live our lives empowered by the Holy Spirit, when so often we live our lives in our own power. And Paul prays, and we ought to pray ourselves that God would help us to do this. Finally, Paul prays and reminds the church that they would live in their new gospel identity. Look at what he says in verses 12 to 14. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul reminds the church of three things. Number one, that they're qualified. But specifically, that he, God, has qualified them. And I love the use of that specific word, qualified. I didn't study the Greek on this. I'm not sure if it's, a, it's the best translation or not. But just for my own purposes, I really enjoyed it. Because qualified or being qualified, in a sense, means that you deserve your position, right? If you're qualified for a job, it means I, I deserve this. I am able to do these things. But what Paul's saying is, you're not qualified. He has qualified you. So, in a sense, I didn't do it, but I am still qualified. And what I'm qualified for is an inheritance of the saints in light. That's like a really cool thing. I'm not going to spend too much time meditating on that, but it's a reminder to us because we spent time on identity last week. But it's a reminder to us, like, in Christ, God has made it so that we deserve this inheritance in Christ. Does that kind of make sense? Um, it, it, it's, it's, the, it's what grace is when we use the word grace, something that is tremendously undeserved, um, that though we're totally unqualified for, we've been, been qualified for it. Um, he reminds them that they're qualified. He reminds them that they have been delivered or rescued is the other way that this verse is often translated from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So we've been rescued from an old life and really kept, the word rescued suggests captivity. And, and we're a part of his son's kingdom. I, I, as I was kind of thinking about this, I've been reading a book with uh, our kids. We just finished it, actually. We've been reading Pilgrim's Progress. I don't know if you've read Pilgrim's Progress before by John Bunyan, I think his name is. Um, we're reading the kids' version, which has a bunch of animal characters and a lot of cool illustrations. Um, still very, very good. It's 300 pages. I'm really proud of these guys. Um, but uh, it's really good. And I lo- the thing I love about it is it, the way it paints the Christian life is you, as a person, receive an invitation from the king to go on a journey, effectively, to the celestial. He's saying, like, I want you to be 
part of my kingdom and my family. Um, and so these, the, some characters are like, I'll do it. And some characters are like, no, thank you, right? So that's obviously the decision to follow Jesus or not. But the characters that do, the way it paints the Christian life is a journey. And all these different episodes of choices or different things that go on. But in all of it, the characters are trying to live in a manner worthy of the king. So when they talk about the decisions they're making and what they ought to do in certain circumstances, the characters talk about like, well, I, I want to do, do this because I belong to the king. Versus, well, I want to do this because like, you know, I'm tired or whatever else. And so you, what you see them do, one of the characters is named Christian. It's an allegory. It's not that subtle. Um, but, uh, but one of the characters named Christian, he, there's a couple times where he's like, Gets, dist- like, uh, gets distracted or gets caught up or gets captured even at a certain point um, and then gets saved. Um, but, but as he continues to kind of go on his journey, more, more and more often he's considering how to live in a manner worthy of the king. And the characters are made worthy by the son and the, the, the story of that, but then they try to live worthy of that like by the help of the son and by these other kind of people around them as well. And so what you see them do is to live worthy. They, they fight servants of the enemy. Um, they the choices to not be lazy or distracted, but to keep their eyes on the prize, which is to get to the celestial city and to be with the king. Um, they encourage other pilgrims on the way, which is really cool. Like they come, they're like driving the road, and they see like different people who are like, "I've decided." Up. Each character has a description, um, like uh, Stout Heart is a character. Like there's all these like characters like that. It, again, it's not a subtle allegory, but the way they engage with all these different characters and circumstances, they're trying to encourage each other on to go be with the king. Um, and even sometimes you see them rescuing other pilgrims who have been captured by the enemy or who have gotten off the path of the king's path and bring them back on so that they go, can go together. And I think it's a really cool picture of what Paul is praying for the church. He wants them to remember who they are that they are children of the and he calls them to know the king's will and to do it. In a lot of ways, as I was reflecting on this passage, it really syncs up with the family trait series we finished up a couple weeks ago. If you recall, we talked about prayer um, as one of the kinds we feel like God's kind of calling us to as a church over the next year to really kind of grow in prayer and praying more and having a heart of prayer and dependency and intimacy on God. Um, we talked about Discipleship, which, for lack of a better way to describe it, is knowing and doing the will of God. Um, and we talked about evangelism, which is finding our place and playing our part in God's big purpose. And I love the fact that all three of these things, we, didn't, we weren't that creative, like, you know, thoughtful when we picked Colossians for this, but I love the fact that, that these things we feel like God's calling us to as a church are the very things that Paul's praying for the church. And so I circle back to the beginning. Like I love, I just really loved as I've prepped the sermon to think about and reflect on the fact that, that the Colossian church mirrors where we're at in so many ways. And so my encouragement for us this morning is that we would remember and live out of our new gospel idea that we've been qualified and delivered and transferred into the kingdom of the Son. And in Christ we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. And my hope is that we would pray that we would know God's will 
in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, and I pray that we would do God's will and however he calls us to do it. Um, yeah, I, I've been praying that all week long. I might walk to, to church here. I, I was tempted, really honestly, like, do we do something like ridiculous and make this like 10 minutes long and then just spend time together praying and actually doing this? Um, I obviously decided against it. But, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I've said it a lot. I'm going to say it one last time to close. Like, I, my heart is that we would be praying to know who we are in Christ, to know his will, and then to do it, um, that we might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Um, to close, because that feels, again, appropriate. Um, and we're going to give thanks to God and then um, sing together again and do communion together. Um, Father in heaven, I thank you for this passage. It's been such an encouragement to me in my this week as, um, as we consider our own church, what you've called us to go, who you're calling us to be as a church, and what you're calling us to do together as a church. God, I pray for all of us that we would not hear this sermon this morning and think about the things that we must do to work harder um, that we wouldn't wrestle more with knowing your will, but rather that we would pray to know it and invite the Holy Spirit to tell us and spend time in your word to understand it, that we might have an understanding of your heart for the world and your grand purpose that isn't merely intellectual, but that's emotional. Our heart would look like your heart for the lost. And then, God, I pray that we would do your will and not in our own strength, but that you would strengthen us um, according to your glorious might. God, that you would help us to endure and have patience with joy and thanksgiving as we um, seek to be like walk in a manner worthy of you, um, being pleasing to you and bearing fruit and knowing you more. Um, God, we give this time to you. We give our church to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, every week we close the communion. Um, together, which I love. Um, communion, if you're unfair, is